0: Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. Today we continue in our series titled the story. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know that we've been looking at the major narratives starting in the book of Genesis, and we've gone all the way through the Old Testament. And today is a great day because we're starting in the New Testament. My name's Aaron, if we've never met, and I'm one of the members on the team here at One and All Media. And I'm excited to dive into Luke chapter two. This is going to be a really great message that we get to apply to our own lives today. Here's Pastor Jeff starting in Luke chapter 2.
1: Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2, only four verses, verse 8 through 12, and I'm not going to deal with them in order, but we're going to be just in that little grouping of verses during the entire message. Now, listen we make our way, it's an exciting weekend because we make our way now to the New Testament. We've gone from the old now to the new and we're right halfway in the story, not halfway in chronological timing, but we're halfway in the sense that in the whole entire Old Testament, we've seen what God has been doing and how he's been setting the stage for what will now happen in the New Testament. If you think about about just the idea that God, the creator, sustainer of all things, decides he's gonna come to planet Earth. And it's not so much of of that he came, but it's how he came. And there are some details in the New Testament narrative that if you'll let me take you through them, they can really be life-changing. They can got, you can have your eyes open. You can say, you know what? I never really thought of it that way. I never thought that that's what the Bible intended to communicate to me. So let's start like this. In Luke chapter two, I want to read verse 11 and 12 first. And here's what we're told. This is a passage you usually hear at Christmas time, but we're in the birth part of the narrative. Here's what happens today. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in claws lying in a manger. Now, here we go. Who is this child? (laughs) Who's the child? Who's the baby? Okay. Matthew chapter one, verse 23 says, the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? So who is this child? That's right. That's right. Who is he? Now, this is going to speak volumes to you because you've been through the Old Testament part of the story, and you know there are times God decides to show up in what we call theophanies, in forms that, well, whatever he chooses. That's the cool thing about being God. You can show up in any form you want. And so when he appears to Job, he comes as what? A tornado, a tornado that is powerful, that's terrifying, that starts from the ground and goes up into the heavens. When Moses encounters God, what does he encounter? A burning bush. And the closer he gets to the burning bush, what does the voice in the bush say? Take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. You're in the midst of the uncreated. And the only entity that's uncreated is God himself, the creator of all things. When he wants to make himself known in a powerful way to Israel, he shows up in a pillar of fire. Now we do this, uh, we, we don't do justice to this. This would have been a flaming pillar a fire that cover, it's not, you know, just a, a couple of feet wide. Uh, you're talking about miles and miles, a big pillar of fire that rises again from the ground up to the heavens. It would be intimidating. I don't mean, know if you've ever been in a tornado, anybody, or anything that's a powerful side of nature, it is terrifying. You feel so helpless because you, you know, all of a sudden you, your own mortality and you know that this thing, this force, whatever it is, is so much stronger, more powerful than you are that you, you look so minute in comparison. When God wanted to reveal himself to the children of Israel, he filled the temple with what? His Shekinah glory. The light was so bright, so powerful that you kind of had to turn away. And the point is, when you come into the presence of God all through the Old Testament, no matter how God chooses to reveal himself, it's scary. It's terrifying. That's why the angel always has to say, fear not. Why does he have to say that? Because they're usually afraid. Uh, I want to tell you something most pastors won't tell you. In, in, uh, in Moses' case, when Moses goes to God and says, hey, I want to see your glory. And what does God tell him? Can't do that. I would, but I'd have to kill you. Well, no, he says, no, my glory will kill you. But I will show you, and most pastors won't deal with this, but in the, in, the, uh, in the original language, here's what God says to Moses. I can't do that, but I will show you my hind parts. I have no idea what that means. And I spent way too much time this week trying to find out. I got no idea. But I know that he takes Moses, puts him in the cleft of the rock, and he passes by, and Moses sees his hind parts, whatever that is. And Moses' face shines with glory, and then he has to veil his face because people who see him see the Shekinah glory of God, and even that, if not tempered, uh, can be harmful. And so all through the Old Testament, God keeps showing up. Now, here's the question. Why does he do that? Why does he show up in a tornado, then a burning bush, a pillar of fire? When he showed up with Jacob, he showed up as a championship wrestler. Remember? It's pretty cool. And when, when uh, Joshua was going to the walls of Jericho, he shows up as uh, just a mighty, mighty warrior. And Joshua knows exactly who he is. That's why he bends down and starts to worship. Why does God do it? It's all a setup, folks. It's God's way of saying, get used to it. I can show up in any form that I want. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when I show up in the manner I'm going to show up on the day of the coming of the Messiah. So that in the birth narrative, he doesn't show up as a tornado, as a burning bush, a pillar of fire, a fierce warrior, a championship wrestler. God shows up as a baby in a manger. Now, folks, during my crisis of faith, which we've all had, this was the most difficult part of the story for me. Why do you... Hey, if I were God, and I'm not, most of you know that. That's my wife, she'll tell you. <laughs> I, would, I would have a big star in the sky. It'd be so bright, you wouldn't miss it. I wouldn't hide my son in a cave in the ground, in a manger. Man, I would have bright lights. I'd have an angelic choir right downtown Jerusalem. I'd feel the sky. This is the Son of God, you know. No. Why a baby? This past week, I went to Kaiser Permanente. Uh, I've been told I have to do this six more weeks, but this, my finger's not healing. Uh, they told me when you get 50, that things start falling off. <laughs> and uh, I'm hoping this is not the first thing. But as I was coming down to the first floor, I ran into Joshua and Christy Murphy, who uh, they were in the elevator. And I looked and I saw their newborn baby uh, three or four days old. It, and I saw this baby and I thought, man, that is that is one of the most gorgeous, little, precious ones I've seen. And I went on and on about it. And then I begged them, I said, can I, can I take a photo or can you send me a photo? And you know, not many parents are going to say, no, you can't show the face of my child to 5,000 people on the weekend. <laughs> and so they sent me numerous photos, I might add. <laughs> and uh, I took this one because when I saw the little baby, it kind of melts you. You kind of like, oh, right? You kind of just, oh, the world is right. And I, I thought of many things when I saw the child, but I'll tell you one thing I did not think of. Run! I didn't think of that. Because there's no fear here, is there? I mean, I may be afraid of a lot of things, even my shadow, but this is not one of them. The thing about a baby is it's the most intimate and gentle form of human existence. You pick them up and they're always available for you. Now, you have to do that before they're teenagers because then they have their own agenda. But while they're a baby, they're completely open, completely vulnerable, completely accessible. God comes as this. Again, Matthew 123 says that we'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. Listen to me, please. This is the first part of the sermon, but we 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 got the power punch coming first. This is the God of relationship. This is a God who does not merely want you to, to cower and bend down out of fear any longer. He wants you to know that he's accessible and that you can come into his presence. And coming in the form of a child is absolutely brilliant. There is nothing more safe than a little baby. And that's why when this little baby Jesus grows up to be a man and is crucified, that at the time of his crucifixion, that the Bible says the curtain in the temple was torn in two and used to only the priest at certain times of year could go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, but now everybody can go in. It's all been a setup. Again, if I were God, I'm thinking, if I want everybody to know this is my son, man, I'm going to have a pyrotechnic show, fire show, and I'm going to introduce him with a parade. Or at least if I'm going to have a manger, I'm going to have a talking manger. You remember, you remember the E-Trade little baby who does all the commercials? Yeah, I'm at least going to have Jesus speak as a baby in the manger. Maybe just kind of after Mary uh, has had the child and uh, everybody's cooing, their animals are cooing, or the baby's cooing, the animals uh, are just making noise. Maybe Jesus just rises up and says, I'm the son of God, deal with it, and goes back to sleep. Something like that. That would be cool. It was only my time in seminary when I started to understand some of the writings of Soren Kierkegaard that I began to understand how all this fits together and why God did it this way. Soren Kierkegaard tells the story of a prince and a peasant girl, and the prince is going through the village on an errand one day, and his eyes fall upon a beautiful young maiden, and he starts to ask the question, and Soren Kierkegaard, as he writes, lets us hear the questions of the prince. How is it that I can win the hand of the young maiden that she would love me? And he entertains three thoughts, but he decides only one of which will achieve the desired goal. The first thought he has is, I will order her to marry me. I am the prince. I own the kingdom. If I tell her to be my wife, she's got to be my wife. If I coerce, manipulate, and finally command, I can do that. But very quickly, that thought fades because if he does that, that's not genuine, authentic love. So he comes to the second side. He says, I know. I'll dress up in a splendid uniform. I'll drive my carriage to the front door of her home with my six amazing stallions, and I will parade my wealth around her. And I will offer her everything in my kingdom and then she will have to follow. She will have to marry me. But she won't be marrying me for me. She'll be marrying me for my wealth. And he finally settles on the third option. He says, I will give up my kingly robe. I will enter not with a crown, but with a garb of a peasant. And I will share her interests and concerns and speak her language and live life as a peasant with all the aches and pains associated with village life. And then in time, she will grow to love me because I first loved her. The baby is brilliant in the mind of God because the baby reflects approachability. That's why Philip Yancey writes, although power can force obedience, only love can summon a response of love, which is the one thing God wants from us and the reason he created us. God's nature is self-giving. He bases his appeal on sacrificial love. Yes, God could have come down and said, you will follow, you will obey a pyrotechnic show, a fire show, and just scare you into obedience. That's not what God wants. God wants a relationship with you. This is probably gonna be the most important question you've had to deal with in a long time. Please listen. Do you understand and folks, this is not judgment. This is just an honest question from a pastor who doesn't care anymore what people think of him. 50's great. 50's great. I mean, 50's the new 70. I feel like I'm almost dead already. So why do I care? I could be dead tomorrow. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Listen, listen. Do you do understand that just because you're in proximity to God doesn't mean you have a relationship with God? You don't you know that, right? It, if you come to church every weekend and you're in proximity of the people of God and God, or if you pull your Bible out from time to time, or if you think of God every couple of days, just because you're in proximity to God doesn't mean that you have relationship with God. Look, I've been in proximity to Tiger Woods. I have. True story. Uh, when he was a member at Alworth, uh I was invited to play in a, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes golf tournament. and I was warming up on the driving range, and this is when he lived at Alworth. Guess who walks right beside me while I'm warming up to play in the golf tournament? Tiger Woods and his caddy, Stevie Williams, then caddy, Stevie Williams from New Zealand. He walks up right behind me on the same driving range and starts hitting golf balls. What do you think I did? I stopped hitting golf balls immediately. <laughs> and I just sat and I watched him. Now, I've been in proximity to Tiger Woods, but if I showed up today in his home and rang the doorbell and he came and opened it and there I was, he'd probably have me arrested. Because I'm in proximity, but I don't have a relationship. He'd probably think I'm a stalker, right? You do know the difference, right? You do know that what God is looking for is a relationship with you, a God who would humble himself and come to the earth in the form of a baby and then give his life for you and me. That's a God who wants relationship so much that he's willing to do whatever it takes to bridge the gap between you and him. But relationship is not something that automatically happens. It's something that has to be stepped into. And the question on the day of accountability is going to be have you stepped into your relationship with God? You say how do I do that? Ask any woman in this room how you spell love, and they will spell it like this, T-I-M-E. As you invest in your relationship with your wife, you reveal more of yourself to her, she reveals more of herself to you, and this is called intimacy. You cannot go into relationship with God without time with God. Are you like David? David? Does your soul pant for the knowledge and understanding of God like a deer pants for streams of water? Do you want to know God more and more every day? Not because you're trying to earn salvation. Not because you're you're thinking by praying and reading your Bible, somehow you're going to get some merit points. You do it not to earn salvation. That's already been provided. You simply do it because you want to know more of the God of the universe who came down. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, I don't know. Well, let me help you. Here's how you know that if you're pursuing God and if intimacy is really what you want, you're seeking him with all your heart. You pray and talk with him daily. You read his word to discover his will for your life. And it's not about work salvation. It's not about doing these things so you earn the right to heaven. It's about doing them because you're motivated out of the burden of a heart to know the God of creation. Here's how I'll know. Here's how I'll know that you are. Here's how I know that I am and when I'm not. I just, uh, my wife just got back. She was gone for two weeks. And I missed her. And I picked her up at the airport in Ontario. I took her home and we sat on the couch and just kind of reconnect. And I looked at my wife and I said, now this is not a bragging point. I've blown it for most of my life. I'm just now getting some things right. So uh, I said, your eyes are beautiful. Now, if you say something like that to your wife, the next thing she's going to say is, are you dying or something like that? <laughs> and I said, no. I said, no, 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 no. I said, it's just that as I've gotten older now and as I'm, I don't know, I've learned that I need to say some of the things that I'm thinking. And especially to my wife, because every time she goes away and she comes back, I re- you know, when you're around your wife all the time, her beauty, you almost become desensitized to it. It's true. But when she goes away, every time she goes away and when she comes back, I feel the same way. I said, man, I am really married to a beautiful woman. And the beauty of that is that when you say it, the intimacy grows. Trouble is most men don't say it. Now, when I got to the office the next day, everybody around said, hey, your wife's back, isn't she? I said, how'd you know? She goes, because you're happy. There's a joy that comes in spending time with my wife. The Bible says there's a joy that comes in spending time with God. Here's how I know. You know, I'm telling you, I know. It's a cause and effect. Sometimes I'll walk up here to preach, or sometimes I'll sit right over there and watch during worship, and you'll notice that I'm glancing back. I'm not trying to look at the clock. I'm looking at you because I can tell if you've been with God that week. Some of you, when I look at you, oh, man, I'm telling you, 50 is freeing. I don't care if you get mad at what I'm about to say. I just don't care. And so (laughs) some of you, I look back, and it's like you're like this. When's this over? When's this over? Why? You've been in proximity, but you haven't been in relationship. Because when you're in a relationship with God, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And no matter what's going on in your life, it doesn't matter. Because you've got God. If you've got God, you've got everything. You know, you know there's, there's one thing I've never quite understood. Most of you know I don't come from Pentecostal background. I don't. I didn't say I... Well, I better stop right there. or get you in trouble. <laughs> I just said, I didn't come from Pentecostal. But every time I go to Australia, you know, the Pentecostal movement so powerful there. I mean, it's just... But I've often wondered, why is it when I go and preach at these churches that there's such an energy there? Now, my doctrine is pretty much, mainline evangelical. Most of you know that about me, but there are some things that are really appealing when I see happy people, joyful people. I don't know why that is. I'm just simply saying... I know when you've been with God and I know when there's intimacy and when there's proximity and he came for intimacy and you're going to have to ask yourself the question are you in proximity to God or do you have intimacy with him? There are many who will say Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do these? And Jesus will say I never knew you there was no intimacy you were in proximity but there was never any intimacy are you seeking God? because when you do and you seek him with all your heart you will find him you will knock and the door will be opened Ask, and it will be given. Your biggest request should be to know God in an intimate way. Now, look, it's not only that. In this narrative, it's not only that. It's what happens in verse 10. The angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. So when God, it's it's not good advice. You got that right? Jesus isn't just another sage or guru or wise man to show you the way or give you a truth or show you the way toward life we love using this graph. And if you want to know the distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament shows you that we're separated from God because of our sin. The New Testament shows you God made a way to cross over. For most of us though, we spend our entire lives trying to fill the gap ourselves. And that's why there's no joy in our lives because we know we'll never do enough to fill the gap. Those who are happy are those who are happy in Christ Jesus. Those who know that They're in relationship because of what Christ did when he grows up to be a man and he dies on the cross for your sins. God is holy. In order to approach God, your sins have got to be dealt with. Jesus deals with them. It's done. But here's the problem with most of us. We hear that, but most of us are like that deep philosophical theological movie called Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail. Remember that movie? If you haven't seen it, don't waste your time. If you have, let me remind you what happens. At the end of the movie, King Arthur and his knights have come. They're searching for the Holy Grail, the cup from which Christ drank at the Last Supper. And then they meet this old, ugly troll who asks them three questions. And if you answer the three questions, you can cross over. First guy answers the three questions, stupid questions like, what's your favorite color? And he goes on over. The second guy, though, comes and it changes a little bit. He says, what's your favorite color? And the guy says, red. He says, what's the capital of Assyria? He says, I don't know. And boom, he's catapulted up and down into the abyss just because he didn't know the capital of Assyria. King Arthur sees this and the next guy comes up, not King Arthur, but one of his, uh, one of his uh, knights of the round table. And he says, I'd like to cross over. He goes, within well, here, answer the questions. What's your favorite color? And the guy's really nervous. And he says, red, I mean blue. And he's woo, catapulted up down in the abyss. And then King Arthur, it's his turn. He comes up. At the end, of it, it's a classic scene because there's this running gag throughout the movie, and the question is, what is the airspeed velocity of a coconut-laden swallow, which makes no sense at all. But the troll asks him, what's your favorite color red? What is the airspeed velocity of a coconut-laden swallow, he asks King Arthur. And King Arthur responds, well, it depends. Is it European or African swallow? And the troll then says, I don't know, and boom, he's catapulted up and down into the abyss. Go figure. Here's the point. Most people, when they look at Jesus, they're looking for a secret code. They think somehow he's got the secret answer or the secret code or the secret key to open up the door to your good life. And that's how you seem. Let me tell you, hear me when I say, the angel said, I don't come to bring you good advice. What's good advice? Good advice is here's how you can go about achieving this. But good news is you send a messenger, an angel, an angel to say it's already been done, right? And in the New Testament, even in this narrative of the birth story, The narrator's trying to show you and me something very, very important that doesn't happen very often in human history and that is something that's already been done for us. That is, he didn't come to give you the key. He is the key. He didn't come to give you the code. He is the code. He didn't come to show you a way. He is the way. He didn't come to give you a truth. He is the truth. By Christ, stripes are healed. By him. That's why some people get upset when Christians say Christianity is exclusive. Because Jesus says, look, there's only one way to bridge the gap between God and man. His sin's got to be atoned for. And there's only one in human history that's died and atoned for your sin. Every other major religious system is about effort.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff finds. Thanks for joining us. Next
1: time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. You know there's ultimate good and evil. You know that a noble prince has come. You know that a savior has come. You know there is a love that will never die. You know that one day you're gonna fly. I don't know how it works. You know one day you're gonna defeat death. It's in you. And you also know that the world was created by God and that one day the trees are gonna dance. It's gonna happen. The ideal is gonna come into the real You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today
0: with Jeff Fiennes wherever you listen to podcasts.